Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Really fired up to be back with Andy Towers on the in-season edition of the Phil Acrosophy podcast. It is February 12th, and um, we're just going to call this week two of the season. What do you think, Andy? Uh, I'm game. (laughs) (laughs) So um, We're going to try to get through the top 20 schools in the rankings, the very first uh, rankings of the year uh, per Inside Lacrosse. We're going to start at number 20, and we're going to go in reverse order. And uh, we're going to talk about the games that were played. We're going to talk about the teams. And uh, it's going to be a little bit like speed pig. we got to get through it quickly. We don't have, it's like we're going to get called for dinner soon, and we got to play a game, one more game of pig. Right. Love that. Okay. So let's kick it off. And we're going to talk about, obviously, we're going to talk about the games along the way. But let's kick it off here with uh, number 20, Syracuse. What are your thoughts? And uh, talk a little bit about the Colgate game. Uh, I, I did not have Syracuse in my top 20. I see that they're in there at 20. Obviously, they, you know, like a few others that have been displaced from the top 10 down to the next 10, uh, you know, they've got a ton of talent. Let's face it. You know, this is a team that currently is ranked 20th. And if I had to guess, would probably be ranked 15 in, in the top 15 by the end of the season. But I was just unimpressed by the way that they played against Colgate this past weekend. Colgate was the better team start to finish. I mean, they just, they won faceoffs. They played harder. They looked scarier. They looked in control of the game. You know, I think this Syracuse team, um, you know, I'm looking at them and they really don't have anybody that, that sort of scares you. Um, you know, where forever at Syracuse, not only did they have one, but it seemed like they a lot of times had five, six, or seven guys that really, really scared you, particularly on the offensive end. And I just don't – I look at this version of, of their team, and I know they got some young midfielders, um, but I, I just see a team that kind of doesn't know who they are on offense yet. That's, that's kind of what I got out of the game versus Colgate. So right now, at 20th, all right. But in my personal poll, I didn't even have them in the top 20. Yeah, got it. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, they, 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 were, they were pretty solid last year and have a lot of their team back. Curry is pretty special. Um, he is. You know, I mean, if he if, – honestly, if he could split to his left hand and bank shots on the run lefty, I think he could be um, on the verge of elite. But they did get outplayed. They got outshot. They got outshot. They got the you know, um, they ended up having more saves uh, than yeah. they did have. Do you, think, do you think Curry could actually beat his dad in the foot race yet? Uh, right now, I'm sure that there, he, it pro- he probably beat his dad when he became 13 or 14. I bet you that was the first time he beat him in a race. Maybe. My, I, I, although I think Todd could maybe beat him once. <laughs> <laughs> I think he could maybe beat him like in the first 50-yard race, but then not the next nine. Maybe. But, uh, I mean, pretty impressive the kid's a captain as a sophomore, though. Is he really? Yes. Wow, I haven't heard of that since John Torpy at Ohio State. Yeah, he had a C on the jersey, and it was talked about. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Colgate, I'm not surprised about Colgate either. We're going to talk about them in a minute. But, you know, they, they, they're tough. Um, they're, you, you know, the, the new coaching staff is doing a great job, but there was definitely, uh, you know, the cupboards were left pretty full for them. They have some talent. 
Um, and they outplayed Syracuse. And, um, and so at the end of the day, you know, Syracuse was the ACC champs last year and were pretty good and they returned everybody. I am a big fan of uh, the way that they – the way they've developed their offense. I mean, I, I think Coach Donahue does an awesome job um, teaching those kids how to play uh, offense together um, in a motion style. And I like that style of offense. But uh, anyways, we'll have to see how it goes. Nate Solomon, you know, really good lacrosse player. He'd be really helped out a lot if he had some, some great initiators around him because that kid is really slick and tough. Yeah, he makes great plays. I, I think that uh, you know, I have to agree with you there. I think they would really benefit, though, from a quick, slick, dodging attackman, which they don't seem to have. They, you know, obviously, Curry at the midfield can break people down off the dodge, and he was actually my pick for breakout midfielder of the year this year. Uh, so I was glad to see him show up and do well on Saturday. But I just, you know, I, I, I just don't look at that team and – can pinpoint a guy as good as Nate Solomon is, and he's been a four-year starter there and, and, you know, a very, very good player for them. You know, is he that much of a dodging threat? I don't think he is. You know, I think he's a great two guy is what I think. Yeah, I agree with you. The Phil Lacrosse Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 10-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. To learn more or start getting better today, go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash academy. Cool. All right. Number 19, the University of Michigan. I did get a chance to watch them um, on the uh, RV trip. We spent a day in Ann Arbor. Um, and um, I also got a chance to be at Cleveland State. And uh, so they were able to win in a pretty close game against Cleveland State. They outshot them 45 to 30. Um, shots on goal 23 to 17. Uh, Cleveland State had 13 saves to their nine. Um, they uh, Neither team, uh, Cleveland State cleared pretty well. Michigan didn't clear all that well. And Michigan actually lost the uh, the face-off battle and the ground ball battle. But uh, what are your thoughts on Michigan in that and, and their rank? You know, I, th I think this is probably right. I mean, I think just from, uh, you know, outside perspective, you look at Cleveland State, which is one of the newer programs here along with Michigan. But clearly, Cleveland State, I don't think, uh, for the uneducated viewer, which is me, you know, you, you look at the, you know, off-the-field support that they have and you think that Michigan should kill Cleveland State, but you also uh, probably aren't giving enough credit to Cleveland State and realize how good of a job they've done in getting their program up and super competitive. You know, 10-8 doesn't look like a score that, you know, you kind of look at that and you think, wow, Cleveland State really did well. They, they could have beaten them there. Um, but I think that you look at this game and, and Michigan took care of the business. I think any, any, any W is a good W in yep. today's game given the amount of players and great coaches at all the schools across the board. So any win is a great win. Um, and I think this is a better win than people think. Uh, I, I'm not surprised to see them win. I think they do have a couple of, of players that are really uh, difference makers. Certainly Alex Bucknavich, local kid from Brunswick around here down the road, stud. He obviously did well. Kevin Mack, Brent Noseworthy. I'm not surprised by this result and, and certainly think that Michigan – is uh, is worthy of being 19 in the polls this week. 
Yeah, Buckanavich, um, he was impressive in person. Their attack is good. Uh, Noteworthy, the Canadian, uh, Mac from Manhasset, and Buckanavich make up a really good attack. And, and Buckanavich can get to the rack. He's got really – he's fearless, and he's got really good quickness. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see how athletic they're going to be able to be between the lines. I think they're pretty athletic, but I did notice a pretty big difference between them and Notre Dame. I went back-to-back -back practices. And there was a, a noticeable difference in just the overall speed and size of the athletes, at least. To, and, of course, you know, the, uh, the perceptions aren't necessarily reality, but that's just kind of the way it seemed like. But I want to ask you this question, though. You know, we should have started with receiving votes anyways, but you got Princeton, Army, Navy, Hofstra, Marquette, Lehigh, UMass, Villanova, UMass Lowell, all receiving votes in the top 20. And you didn't even have Syracuse in it. You know, where do you, you – know, I had Hofstra. In my top 20, I actually had them as high as 14. Um, and the reason I did so, even though they're a young team, fact is they're playing a highly regarded Lehigh team, at least from a preseason standpoint. Lehigh went into the game at, I think, 13 last week. And Hofstra wins a hard-fought 4-3 battle after going into the fourth quarter, I think, down 3-1. And you got to hand it to Seth Tierney, who I think is one of the best coaches out there to get a young team focused to go out and win the fourth quarter and win a really close game against a team coming into the season that many felt or feel will push Loyola for the Patriot League championship. So I actually had Hofstra ranked 14th in my poll after a great close win early in the season with a young team. Um, and certainly, you know, the, the rest of the media had them, I guess, technically 24, if you look at where they're placed in the also re receiving votes area. So, uh, that would be my answer. Gotcha. All right. Number 18, Colgate. Obviously we just talked about that game a little bit. Um, I went up and, and did get a chance to watch them practice, sat down with coach Carwick and the staff. Um, they had played Delaware in their scrimmage and that was the film we were uh, focusing on. And, um, you know, they handled Delaware in that scrimmage pretty well, 62 at halftime uh, when they pulled the starters. And, and obviously, you know, haven't been outside much. I mean, I, I don't even know how many times they've been on a full field, to be honest with you, because at the time that I saw them, they had not been on a full field other than their Delaware game. Um, but they've got some guys um, that can play. You know, the kid, uh, Nikki Petkovic, had four goals, three second-half goals. He can get to the rack. Um, the kid um, – uh, what's the uh, really good Hoskinson. Yes, uh, Sam Cleveland. Yeah, what a beast. Uh, Duncan Hoskinson. Ho Hoskinson, I didn't really know that much about, and he played great. Cleveland uh, is a beast of an athlete and a player, and actually he didn't have any assists in that game. Uh, he had a couple goals, but he is a great feeder, actually. So they've got some offense. Their, their, their faceoff guy seems pretty good, and they've got some athletes on defense. I mean, they had some kids that were, that were like breaking pressure in that game. Uh, and it was impressive. Um, I think that they may be uh, underrated um, as far as the preseason, you know, Patriot League. I think they're going to they're going to contend for that. Well, hard to think that they're not going to, based on the result up in the Carrier Dome on Friday night. You know, the guy that really stuck out for me was senior goalkeeper Connor Mellon, Connor Mullen, Texas kid, Dallas kid. I think, uh, you know, he had eleven saves. He gave up nine goals, but a lot of those saves were really big saves. And yeah. well, let's face it, Colgate. You know, snuck up on them a little bit, I think, jumping out to a 3-0 lead. But let's face it, they controlled the game start to finish. They really did. Where Syracuse, I think, got within a goal in the third period to the credit of the coaching staff, Matt Carwick, obviously. Or not Matt Carwick. Yeah. Uh, but, but 
you know, for those guys to keep their team focused and, and to be able to hold on to the lead and close it out the way that they did in the fourth quarter when, uh, you know, they easily could have gotten off to a good start. Syracuse makes their run and they end up losing a three-goal game. Yeah. You know, it seems like that, that's sort of usually the way it works out for teams that are underdogs going up to play Syracuse in the dorm. You, you know, you want to hold on, but you can become a little wide-eyed and, and, you know, time runs out on you. That didn't happen, and 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 to the credit of of Colgate's, you know, staff and their players, they stepped up and finished the job, and and they they controlled it start to finish, and they beat Syracuse, who went into the game preseason number ten, and beat them by three at their place for the first game of a new coaching staff. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to not think that they're not going to be a factor, not only in the Patriot League, but potentially out of the league as well. With yeah, this no kind could end up holding up, could end up being, you know, the difference in, in securing that large berth at the end of the year, depending upon how they do in and out of the league the rest of the way. We had a long way to go still. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it is early, but they, they, they did play with some mental toughness. Like you said, they could have easily caved when Syracuse came back. Um, they're clearly athletic enough. And so the cupboards were, were left pretty full by Coach Murphy and uh, Coach Carwick is doing a phenomenal job. I love the way they run their offense. They play a really cool motion. They, they do backside down screens. They kind of they, they really allow the kids to play all six positions on offense. Love that. They, they, they mix in inverts, um, but they don't walk into them, you know. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty good. And I think defensively, obviously, they're going to have a Notre Dame – you know, influence on them. And, um, and, and so far, so far, so good. All right, let's talk about Hopkins. Uh, we got inside the cross pole has them at 17. I think people thought they were going to be a little better than how they showed against Towson, but Towson maybe is pretty, pretty damn good. Yeah, they're scary. I, I had Hopkins at 19 this week after, you know, losing to Towson by nine. Uh, you know, they went up four, two, and then they were down six, four. And, you know, to the, to the credit of their coach, Dave Petromala, you know, he he took all the all the blame for the loss, and that's what a great coach does. Um, you know, but nobody saw this coming with the amount of talent that Hopkins has at both ends of the field. I know I listened to Quint's podcast on Monday yesterday, and he had expressed concern about sort of their lack of size with their midfield, and. You know, I, I can't say I definitely think that that's an issue. I think the game is a speed game more than it is a side game. Certainly, if got two guys are the same speed and one's bigger than the other, that guy's probably going to end up with an advantage more times than not. But, you know, to me, the story of this game was Alex Woodall. You know, you, you go 21 for 28 at the X, and you're winning the ball all over the place. You're going one and two. It's just, you know, really, really tough for teams to play poised on the offensive end when they're playing that much defense. You know, the, 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 you, you want to get everything back. You go into the game favored. You know, Towson is not supposed to have a really, really strong Towson team this year. And Hopkins goes into the game ranked, I think, seven. And what a surprise. I mean, this was one of those four games along with the Cuse Colgate, uh, Duke High Point, um, Virginia getting beat the way that they did that I, I was really shocked about. But, again, you know, Towson Hopkins, you, you really should never be shocked by any result. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think, I think uh, there's something, not so, so much something to size, because, I mean, of course, smaller guys can't do big guy moves quite as easily. <laughs> but, no, because they can pick up coins quicker. 
<laughs> if they're quicker. And that's kind of my point. I mean, I, I, I think um, that, that, you know, little guys like a Joey Sankey that are just faster than everybody can be just as good as anything. Um, and I think that some of the uh, undersized middies of Hopkins are pretty athletic, but some of them are not extraordinary athletic. They're just very good lacrosse players. I think toughness offsets size. I, I yeah. really do. And I yeah. think I would rather have, you know, quick and tough yeah. than big and tough, at least in the division one level. I think at the high school level, you know, big can be more beneficial because everything's slower. I just think the speed of the division one game really puts an emphasis on, uh, you know, lateral quickness and, and, and explosiveness. And if you don't have it, I don't care how big you are. You're going to, you're going to struggle to create double teams and you're going to struggle to get away from double teams. Uh, if you don't have those attributes. I think D Simone's pretty tough. Pretty, you know, he's not a big mini, but I like his game a lot. Uh, all right, moving on to um, Georgetown. Number 16, Georgetown with a win over Sacred Heart in, in uh, a pretty close game. And I think you know the, the staff pretty well at uh, Sacred Heart. It's kind of around the corner from where you live. Yeah. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts about that, that rank in that team in that I, game? You know, this, this, this was one of two games that I thought uh, you know, the underdog would win. I, I, I think that Sacred Heart went into this game. I think Lax Vegas Lions had them, I think, as four-point underdogs going to this game. And I actually thought – I thought they would cover, which they did, but I thought they'd have a great chance to win based on who Georgetown graduated and coming off the great year that they had. But you got to hand it to Kevin Warren and his staff. You know, they, they played a really tough opponent that would have been easy to look past and sort of undervalue, but they've got, you know, two of the best offensive players in the country and, uh, you know, at Sacred Heart, and you know they're going to put up goals, and they did. But to Georgetown's credit, they were able to get the outcome that they wanted, and that's the W. Um, and you got to hand it to Kevin Warren and his staff for getting them ready to play against a great opponent. Max Tuttle is the uh, is the midfielder, uh, Tuarton, uh, watch list Colorado kid from Castleview High School down in Colorado. Yeah, um, total stud, man. That this guy shoots the ball on the run with both hands as smoothly and with as much velocity. He's a good athlete. So. I had him, I had him as a preseason first team all American and uh, somebody was giving me shit. It was like mainline lacrosse or somebody out of Philly because I didn't have docs aching in there. To be honest with you, it was a total oversight uh, that I, <laughs> you know, I was, I was like putting it together and trying to get it out. And I just, you know, put it out. Not that, uh, I wouldn't have included him, Max Tuttle. I would have included him for sure. He was intentionally on that team, but certainly Doc Aiken, you know, is a preseason first team All-American midfielder. And I, and I, I didn't have him on there, but it was an oversight much like Cornell was left off of my top 20 this week, but luckily I was caught by uh, yeah. like three on that. So, um, but he's, he is the real deal man, that kid. Yeah, he is good. Um, so Albany, they're zero and zero. I did get a chance to go up. I uh, spent a day with the program, got a chance to watch them. Um, and um, I don't know, it's going to be interesting. I, I feel like they've been a little undervalued a little bit. I mean, they've, they've, they've got athletes. They've got one of the best shooters in Eccles. They've got, you know, uh, DeHoga is, um, is a difference maker. And he's facing off, actually. Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. Some he face off. And I, I remember him in the Minto Cup in 2017. He, um, he broke the axe of uh, the Coquitlam Adenax with a face-off uh, run down back of the net twister near side, you know, hard clamper. What hard clamper is that what yeah. he is? Plunger, yeah. Oh, he's plunger, yeah. Yep. That's that's interesting. Well, 
you know, look, the upside is if he wins draws, they got the, the ball in the right guy's stick. The downside is if he loses draws and he's caught on the defensive end of the field running around and isn't able to be, uh, you know, full go the next possession on offense, that could be something that they may want to second guess. Unless, of course, he's winning a lot of draws. If he's winning a lot of draws, then yeah. no problem. But I don't think he's going to be their go-to guy anyways. I mean, um, Rutgers in this poll is eighth. And they handled Rutgers in their scrimmage, the, you know, the couple days before I, you know, two days before I got there, yeah. uh, which was like the 28th of uh, January, they had, they had scrimmaged Rutgers and they had uh, really done well at the faceoff X too, which they're, they're, they're like, you know, obviously they'd be in great shape if they still had TD. Um, and they're obviously bummed that he's not there and they're kind of waiting to see how they do, but they did very well, um, both in every uh, facet of the game in that scrimmage. So, um, I, you know, they're zero and zero and the preseason polls kind of don't matter in some ways, but at the same time, you know, they do tee you up down the line. So it'll be interesting. They're, they're, they're going to put up a ton of goals. My concern with them is without Connor Fields, you know, Tahoka is, is, is such an unbelievable talent, so much fun to watch. Yeah. But I don't love his decision-making within the framework of managing a game, or at least last year I didn't love his decision-making. It seemed like, you know, it was a lot of all-or-nothing situations where Connor Fields seemed to be uh, more of a distributor, decision-maker, and, and somebody that I thought managed the possessions better. And let's face it, when you're winning 80% at the X, you know, you're getting a lot of opportunities, and, there's, and, and you're not worried that you're not going to touch the ball enough whoever is going to be their face-off guy this year is probably not going to be 80% of the X, no. right? And so just from that standpoint alone, I think it's going to create a greater emphasis on them managing possessions more responsibly. And, you know, you get older, you understand the game better. You know, certainly you got to think that Tohoka is going to be more mindful of that. But I don't think they can afford to cram it in as much as they maybe have done in the past without that confidence that they're going to be winning four out of every five draws that are taken over the course of these games. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, if, if TD hadn't left, I think that they're right back in the, in the top four. No question. Without a doubt. And without them, you know, it's going to be harder. But they're pretty good, and um, I'm really excited to watch them play. They're fast. Uh, they're athletic. they got a lot of guys. And their attitude's awesome. You know, they love to play. And I think that's a huge part of what Scotty Moore does is he gets his teams to, you know, be fired up to be there instead of just like, you no know, question. summer. Um, so, uh, number 14, North Carolina, they're two and zero. uh, they look, they look to be improved from last year. And, you know, when you think of last year, you know, as much as it was a down year for them, you know, they were up three goals with two forty-five left in the Syracuse game. They win that game. They go to the NCAA tournament and they beat Hopkins and they beat Notre Dame and that game against Syracuse you know, was one that they gave away. I mean, Syracuse won a fair square. Don't get me wrong. I give them credit. But, but you they know. They were the better not, team. They don't fit. Yes. Listen, yeah. don't forget the Duke game is another one. Right. You know, they had Duke dead in the water as well. But unfortunately for North Carolina's team last year, the yeah. games are 60 minutes and not 58 and a half minutes long. Otherwise, right. they would have won those games. You're exactly right. Look, you know, they – I think they're so much better this year than they were last year. No doubt. Um, I think – you know, bringing in Kevin Unterstein is a huge change in a positive way for them. I think that getting uh, Tucci at the X, they now have a guy that they go into the game feeling like, hey, we can win 80% this game. And, you know, if we don't do that well, maybe we're winning 50%. Right. I, I don't think that they had that 
advantage last year. I know they didn't. Uh, look at their starting midfield. They had three sophomores last year that are now juniors. The difference in how easy the game becomes from your sophomore year to your junior year can't be overstated. No. And not to mention, I, I think while I love Chris Cloutier's game, you know, I think they did a lot of initiating with him to start possessions. And I, I, I just think that this team is so much better in all areas of the game. To me, the one question mark is, does Pizzula get it done in the cage? And if he can play well enough to, to make 55% of his saves, I think Carolina's in a position to win the ACC championship this year. I really do. Let's face it. They beat Notre Dame last year at the end of the game. Notre Dame loses way more than North Carolina does to graduation. Virginia just got smacked by, Loyo by Loyola on Saturday. Now they're going to be back. They got great talent. We know Lars is going to bounce back and the team's going to do great. Yep. But with that said, they just got smacked by Loyola, by Loyola uh, you know, by, by eight goals. You've got Syracuse that just got manhandled in the dome by Colgate. And you got Duke that lost to a great high point team, didn't play Jacksonville that well, pulled yep. away in the fourth quarter. But I think for all intents and purposes, are on their heels trying to figure out who they are. Now, certainly, history shows you that John Janowski has a tendency to figure out who they are pretty quickly, yeah. right? And he will, and they're going to be a factor at the end. But I, I think Carolina is totally underranked at 14 right here. I, I, I have them I, – I put them in this week at seven. You know, they, they beat Mercer by 11 in the first game. They beat Furman by four. Um, you know, not that those are two overly impressive wins, but they are 2-0. and oh, And if you look at the positive differences between the Tar Heels this year compared to where they were last year with three close losses, like we just referenced, I think you're going to see a Carolina team that's fighting for the ACC championship this year. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they're going to be um, – and they got, you know, they got the athletes, they got the face-offs. And Pizzula, if you can be like you in basketball, streaky. You know, he can, he can go on a hot streak and make some saves and, uh, you know. That's right. All right. Number 13, the Panthers of High Point. I could not have been more impressed with my visit down there. I mean, obviously, you and I both spent a lot of time with John Thorpe. He was my assistant for five years at Denver. He was your assistant for, was it one year? Two years. Uh, two years at, uh, at Dartmouth. And uh, one of the best guys ever, one of the hardest working guys you could ever meet honestly this guy gets more done before like 7 a.m than most people will get done in a week and that's not no an question. exaggeration no it's question unbelievable um and that includes like two workouts a day i mean it's just insane what he gets done but he's also got this way about him where he can be a hard ass and people love him at the same time and that's something that's a that's a gift and he's got that gift and he 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 gets his kids playing so hard and they're having so much fun, and they compete, do every single thing they did, in the, right. you know, from like after the first twenty-five minutes of practice to the last twenty-five. That that hour and a half in the middle there was competitive, and it was like all of a sudden they had like tunes coming on, you know, and they would just have two guys. They'd be like, "All right, you know, it's Jamie and Andy one on one," and they like they have two teams, and if, if a guy scores. One team goes crazy, the other team goes to the goes to the sideline and starts running, and they got like tunes blasting. Um, it's like, are you ready to rumble? <laughs> like music and uh, stuff. So he creates this atmosphere, and he knew. I mean, we he knows how good his team is. You know, we never really know, but he knows that his goalie is off the charts, and he knows that uh, Asher Nolting is off the charts. And when you've got guys like that up the middle, um, it makes a pretty big difference for your program. 
No question. And, and I echo your sentiment regarding Torp. I mean, you're not going to find a, uh, a more passionate about his profession guy out there. I don't know anybody that, that, that loves what he does or works harder than Torp. And I think part of the reason that his players respond so well to him, a lot like Scotty Marr, to be honest with you, a different way. He's got a different way about, you know, getting the same sort of buy-in from his players that Scotty Marr does, but each are, um, you know, so devoted to the overall development of their players as people, students, lacrosse players in that order. Uh, but the, but he's, he's all substance, you know, no flop. There's no bullshit to Torp. And certainly, you know, he's been able to put together a roster of guys that respond to that approach. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, but the biggest difference to me is success at the faceoff accident. The yep. last few years, they've been getting crushed there. And it puts a lot of pressure on, you know, what he calls the best goaltender in the country and Tim Troutner. He very well may be. I mean, after week one, let's face it, he's probably the first team All-American goaltender after week one. Now he just has to continue to do it one game at a time, moving ahead throughout the season. But if they're winning 55 plus at the X against great teams and they've got an attackman that seems like he's seven points walking on the, on the field every game, and it's going to help them get to 12 goals, and you've got a goalie that's saving it at 65-plus or, or close to that, that's, as you referenced, um, you know, that's the formula for a team that's going to be a scary, scary out, not only in league, but, you know, everywhere. And, and they play, um, you know, I think they play Virginia on Sunday or Monday. I think they play Virginia on Monday. And yeah. going into that game – Virginia's reeling a little bit. Now, I, I, I think if Virginia had beaten Loyola, I think that may have set up a little bit better for high point. But I think that this high point team is for real. I mean, I had them ranked 11 this week after beating the Bonnies by 13 the first week and then Duke by four uh, last week. Um, you know, this is a scary, scary team with an awesome coach and not a team <clears> – <throat> to be taken lightly and, and a team that I think it, we're going to be watching playing in the NCAA tournament without jinxing them in May. Yeah. Uh, and so, hopefully, I mean, I, you know, I'm sure they're planning on uh, being able to get in in two ways, right? I mean, they could be an at-large. Well, They've got a good enough out of, out of conference schedule. No that question. Will hold There's up. no question about it. I, I think this is, this is a team that Virginia is taking very seriously, uh, you know, come Monday and I'm going to be watching the game and, and uh, it's gonna it's gonna be fun, and we'll talk about it right here next Tuesday. Great. <laughs> so uh, you know, so with 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 Nolten, he's the kind of guy that if he has an average game, he's two and three. Right. When he has a good game, he's three and four. But he can he can go off for four and five or four and six or four and seven. I mean, he's that good of a feeder. He's six three, two hundred and ten pounds, good athlete, unselfish player as well. So he doesn't have to have the ball in the stick all day. But the fact is, is with this shot clock era. Um, it, it is a defensive advantage. And when you have somebody that can, can win their matchup and post up and feed as well as you can feed. On anyone. On anybody. No, he's, he's on anyone. I mean, he's going against arguably two of the best three or four defenders in the country when they play Duke first game. I mean, this guy's kind of like David Evans in that respect. You know, like it, it doesn't matter who you're putting on him. He's winning the matchup and he's winning it decisively. And that's scary. 
when you and get a guy. Clock, make, and the shot clock era is going to force more shots. And, and Tim Troutner is going to be able to have the kind of games like he had. We're going to see more saves out of goalies in general because I think we're going to see more shots at the end of the clock. Agreed. Goalies Agreed. exposed one way or the other. I think you're right about the faceoff X. They've done an unbelievable job to improve upon it. They were 33% two years ago. Yeah, that's and Torp was like, he was like, oh man, I can't win faceoffs. And he'd be like, people would come up to me like, hey, uh, did you ever try double pole in the wings? Thanks. <laughs> what a big help. How about facing off with a long pole or doing a 10 man ride after you lose? Yeah, buddy. Very Thank brilliant. you. Thank you so much. I'm not, I'm still not going on your kid in admissions, Mr. Helpful Alumni. <laughs> The Philocrosophy Podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. There is no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash video right now. All right, number 12, Ohio State with a big win over BU. Jasinski with a career high. Uh, What are your thoughts about the Buckeyes? I think the Buckeyes are scary when they put up a lot of goals. And I think, uh, you know, that result, I was shocked. I think a lot of people looked at that game and said, you know what, Ohio State's going to lose, you know, to that BU team. And they they pounded them. I mean, they really pounded them. And uh, I think think you're going to look at the Big Ten and where it's been Maryland – and Hopkins, you know, the last, you know, few years, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this become, depending upon what happens to Hopkins, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Penn State, and then we'll get to them a little bit, but Penn State and Ohio State at the top when it's all said and done. Ohio State, that was a really, really impressive win over a very well-coached and talented BU team. Um, now, let's see how they do this week. They're going to UMass, which is going to be a tough game to play on the road, up on the hill after losing, you know, an overtime game to Army, UMass is going to be ready to go, and we're going to find out uh, who Ohio State is or find out more about them this weekend after that game. Andy, did you ever score an OT winner at UMass and wave to the crowd on your way? I sure did, Jamie, and, and this is why I did it, okay? My junior year, we were playing UMass on the hill, and it was mid-April. Usually we played them earlier than that. We went into the game, I think we were like 7-0 or 8-0. We were number two in the country. And they were probably like 4-4. Four and four. But the Brown-UMass games, as you remember, were absolute bloodbaths. They had a great team, but they just hadn't won a lot of close games. And we knew it was going to be a tough game. And the pressure was on us a little bit. And we went up there and started slowly. And... Uh, you know, Jimmy McAlevey was on the other team. Hugh O'Callaghan had a huge game for them. Jimmy Kushner had six goals, which was a stud. He was a stud. Um, and so the game goes into overtime. We were fortunate enough to tie it up and go into overtime. And I took the face off in overtime and there was a scrum and the ball goes out on the, the sideline by the hill. Yeah. And you remember the hill at, at I, UMass. It was, I got a couple of beers thrown on me on the hill before. Yeah, it was devastating. And so I go over there and I pick up the ground ball and the ref's right there. And right as I'm picking up the ground ball, this scumbag, shirtless scumbag in jean shorts comes stumbling out of a Guns N' Roses video 
and go, hey, 44, I blah, 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 your mother last night. And then went, Phew, and spit a clam and it hit me right on my leg. And it hit me right on my leg, the whistle blew, I'll never forget. And we got it on the side, throw the ball down. I think it was to your brother on the right wing who throws it to Darren. I do a back cut, Darren pushes the left corner, throws it back up over the top. And I stick the goal in overtime. And I was so incensed by the Guns N' Roses fan that I ran to the base of the hill and ran down the whole base of the hill doing big obnoxious waves to their sidelines. Can't imagine they loved it, but certainly it excised some of the rage that I had inside from, uh, from that dirtbag telling me about his previous night. I've, I've got a video of that. I'm going to have to post it on, on Twitter. I, I did post it on Twitter actually a couple of years ago. I got to, I got to dig that one up, but yeah, I just thought that was a worthwhile story to, to, to revisit. Um, one to Mac. So Mac, that. Mac told me like he had to be talked out of coming over and punching me in the face as I was running down the sidelines, which is very believable. <laughs> uh, by his 13 sisters and three brothers. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, Ohio State, I mean, the last thing I want to say about them is that they're just so well coached. Um, and I, I did, I got a chance to go to their practice also. It was like 26 degrees. Um, I really wish I could have watched one of their indoor practices that would have been a little longer and a little more teaching. But, man, they're so buttoned up in what they teach and what they work on. And, yeah, um, you know, that whole staff um, is just Traps Crane, Brad Ross, Nick Myers, uh, just phenomenal in the way that they, they prepare. Um, and so, you know, honestly, when they are athletic enough, they're going to contend for championships. And I think that's the question right now. In the fall, I watched them play Carolina, and they looked, they looked good, but they didn't look as athletic. And I think that's going to be the question. If they're athletic enough, they're going to be well-coached enough, and they got some skilled guys. They got um, some great, two great face-off guys, too, that allow them to – And they got Trey LeClaire, and um, I forgot they have a lefty Canadian they have. It's a great shooter. And then got Jack Chazinski, who can run by anybody. So, so I just really feel like it's going to be sort of their – you know, when they made, went to the Final Four, they had those shorties that were just off the charts, you know. They like were, Lucas Buckley. Yeah. So, um, all right, so number 11, Virginia. Yeah. Our old teammate, Lars Tiffany, you've referenced yeah. them. Um, they did get handled a little bit. And, you know, Carolina got handled, actually, by Loyola in a scrimmage the week before. So, I mean, Loyola yeah. is for real. And they have the best player in college across, in my opinion, right now. Um, and they got a lot of other parts and pieces. Uh, they, the face-offs really uh, haunted uh, the Wahoos. What are your thoughts on Virginia? I thought, I thought Schwank was going to beat up on Savio. I, I saw Park Carcaterra, his daughter's actually in my – uh, Thursday afternoon group, and we were discussing a little bit, and I had said that I thought the difference in that game was going to be that Schwank was going to beat up Savio at the X, and, you know, he disagreed with me, and he was obviously right. That's why he's the professional, and I'm doing Thursday night clinics with his third-grade daughter. But, um, you know, I was shocked by how it, – it just seemed like Virginia on the defensive side of the ball. We know, both know that Lars is an unbelievably good – preparation coach and defensive scheme coach but it just looked like the defense had no idea of how to cover pat spencer and crew now i agree with you pat spencer has clearly established himself as the front runner right now as the best player in the country and maybe that changes over the course of the year maybe it doesn't but i just i just thought virginia looked disheveled like they just i i wasn't impressed by them on either end you know they i, I saw the five of the first goals were two unbelievable bombs by Doc Aiken and, and one bomb, I think, by Matt Moore. And, you know, it, it, great. If you're hitting a 15-yard shot, that's awesome. But to me, that's not great offense. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if 
if you aren't able to generate higher quality shots than that and you're relying on bombs to score you know 15 goals a game you're probably not going to get there in most instances and I, I just I was just unimpressed by them now I will say in Virginia's defense I think Michael Krause is right there with Pat Spencer as as you know one of the very very best players in the country I think um, you know, with, with an obvious ankle injury that he's been dealing with the last few weeks. I think he, he may have heard it in the Bucknell game. He may have even heard it in the Buck, I'm sorry, Bucknell scrimmage. Uh, he may have even heard it before that. He's not 100%, and you can see that. And, and when he's 100%, that team changes a ton because now the defense has to drop down to onto the dodge, and he's a threat to run around and score on anyone. I don't care who's covering him. But he also has the playmaking ability to go – one and seven just as easily as he could go seven and one. And I think as Michael Krause becomes healthy again, you're going to see the Virginia team that we, that we all expect to see. And that's a team, you know, in the top five and a threat to win it all in May. No doubt, man. And I think when you look at these, these programs that have an attackman, you know, like High Point does, like Loyola does, like Virginia does when he's healthy. It's kind of like, you know, teams in basketball that don't have, you know, that they have a big man and they don't have to rely on, you know, shooting threes uh, at all times. They can actually get some easy buckets inside. And I think that's what, what um, the, um, what, what, what an attackman can do for you because all of a sudden you got to start sliding to an attackman and it really makes a difference in the way, you know, you have to play defense. And so I think, I think you're going to see teams definitely double polling and potentially even triple polling midfield well if Matt Moore stays on attack they're gonna I wouldn't be surprised to see them you know throw two poles up top yeah. to cover Conrad and Aitken and two poles obviously to cover Kraus yeah. and Matt Moore and it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that 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 wouldn't surprise me at all if that starts to happen down the road. Well, that'll happen I agree and we know that Kraus can usually beat his matchup and that's that's a that's a big one so no um, okay number 10 Duke thoughts yeah it, you know Similar to Virginia, I don't think they are close to as scary as Virginia is on the offensive end, but I think they're a lot scarier than Virginia is on the defensive end. Um, you know, I wasn't surprised to see High Point beat them. You know, would I have bet on it? No, I would have bet on Duke. Um, but I wasn't surprised to see High Point beat them. You know, High Point's so fired up for that game. And, you know, as we discussed them a few minutes ago, they've got, you know, the better goalie. They proved to have the better face-off guy. And clearly they had the best offensive playmaker on the field in Nolting. Um, but I was surprised that they were able to have that kind of success against Duke's defense, just given the personnel that Duke has on the defensive side. Um, you know, but I think Duke is really in, in, a, in a situation here where they're trying to figure out who they are offensively, who's going to step up and be the lead dog and lose, you know, one of the very best players in college across history and Justin Gutterding last year, um, you know, and he's been the main guy for three, four years for them, you know, it takes a little while to see who's going to take control of this and who's going to be the lead playmaker. And, you know, again, as we know, that staff gets it done every single year, figuring out who they are and, and they'll figure it out again this year. And while they're ranked 10 right now in the week two poll or week one poll, whatever this is, um, you know, I, I, I think it's fair to say that they're going to finish in the top six. Um, and it won't surprise you. But, but their greatest opportunity for improvement 
and significant change to me is certainly on the offensive end. And, and they did have some super high quality offensive opportunities where Tim Trotter just took them away from them. And, you know, where they scored nine goals, whatever it was, 13 to nine, I think they lost, you know, that, that, that could easily have been 13 goals, but again, it wasn't. So um, I think that they got to figure out who they are on the offensive end of the field, take a little bit of pressure off their defense. Defense is going to have to carry them certainly this weekend against Denver. I think you're going to see a low-scoring game as, as I think the strengths of both of those teams are defense. Um, but I'm not, I'm not worried about Duke. Yeah. I do think that Gutterding, you mentioned him as one of the greatest players in, in the history of the game. And I feel like he's also been one of the most undervalued in some ways because – I question – Unbelievable. And everyone's like, yeah, the Duke's number two. So what? They lost Gutterding. It's no problem. I mean, I – I, I agree that they're going to be great. They're loaded and they're great coaches, but I don't think you replace Gutterding any more than you replace, you know, all no the way you do. You know, the funny thing is, Jamie, I, I was like, I was not a big buyer of Gutterding's game for a long, long time. Um, you know, and, and halfway through last season, I think Penn beats Duke and Marco Vancheck runs, runs Gutterding out of the building. And, you know, he had a tendency, at least in my opinion, in the first half of the year last year to disappear in big games and went off in, you know, lesser caliber games. But then down the stretch, he really proved how much of a competitor yeah. he is and how tough he is and how passionate he is. And let's face it, man, he is one of the very best attackmen to play Division One college across. And he's currently one of the best players in the world. And, and he's deserved that. But I was... I, I, you know, I was the same way. I was never that impressed with him as a player, but, but the last half of the year, last year, I completely flipped and, and I'm a huge fan of his game at this point. Number nine, Notre Dame. Lost a lot, lost Garnsey. Always have struggled to score, but have always been incredibly athletic. Uh, I spent a day with those guys, uh, Coach Corrigan, Coach Byrne. I know Coach Byrne, you know, at least a couple of weeks ago, was, was pretty darn happy with the quality of their off the ball defense and communication, despite the fact that they've lost some some big name guys, they are they are a system group, um, and they were working at it the same way they always do with the, their their fields and their approaches and their communication and their small drills all over the field. Um, and um, so, what are your thoughts on them? I, I never worry about Notre Dame. Um, you know, Jerry's probably the best defensive coach in the country. Kevin, those guys do it every single year. They are a factor. And they're going to be a factor again this year. Um, you know, offensively, I, I don't love their offense. I really don't. And I don't think that they put a lot of fear into teams. Um, but I, I think look at this year's team, and even though Garnsey is gone, I think what people don't recognize is that Notre Dame has – you know, probably a top three midfield group in the country, in my opinion, when you look at the return of Costaville, you look at, you know, Glebo's son, um, Brendan Gleason, you know, those two guys together are, are you know, as good of a one-two midfielder punches you're going to find, you know, in the country. You know, they're, they're right there with Doc Aiken and Ryan Conrad as, you know, a, a midfield group of, of guys that you really got to be concerned about. I do think that, uh, their attack has some question marks in terms of who's going to put the ball in the back of the net. But in terms of defensive, the defensive end of the field, you know Jerry's going to get it squared away. They got great personnel, even though they lost some great players in Sexton and, you know, others. They got, you know, one of the best short sticks in the country in chance. And, um, you know, they need to win some face-offs so that they're not playing 
too much defense. And, you know, as their offensive leaders emerge, uh, or I should say as, as their attackmen emerge to support those two great midfielders, you know, Notre Dame is a team that I, I think is certainly going to be there again in the end. They always are. Yeah. And, and you know, um, in, in, in watching them, the one thing that always stands out when I've been to Notre Dame practices, and it did again this time, was the way they commit to their riding and clearing in all different phases of practice. You know, obviously when they're going up and down, they do it, but they, they, they do these various ride and clear drills. And to watch um, the intensity with which they compete um, in, in, in three on, in four on three clearing, you know, 3D, three attack and a goalie and working on that and getting it out um, and changing up the way that they rotate, okay? Like they don't just do, they, they, you know, Kevin's like, I have, I have my attackman do different things on every single three versus four riding situation so that, a def- so that we get used to it, clearing against that, and so teams don't know what we're going to do. Um, and uh, it, it, it's pretty awesome. It's a great, that's a great point, you know, that they, they really are – they really win those battles. They do. And, and you know, think about whenever they're struggling in a game and they're down five, they just crank up the ride and all of a sudden it's a tie game. Right. So. And, and it's a tie turner. That's a, that's a really, really good point. I hadn't thought about that, but that, that is something where it's such – they're both such important aspects of the game, and, and Notre Dame does it as well as anybody does. I will say, though, that you look at what Notre Dame has lost last year. And I'm biased a little bit because obviously Joe Brash coached me at Brown and, and, and we coached together a couple of years. But, you know, I almost look at this poll and you look at the loss of Ryder Garnsey as well as who they lose to graduation. And I, I'm, you know, Carolina's ranked 14 and they're a year older, um, you know, and, and, and I feel like they've gotten more talented. Notre Dame always has great talent, but I feel like they get hurt by graduation. I could almost see Carolina at nine and Notre Dame at 14, you know, in my weekly poll, um, I had Notre Dame at 10 and I had Carolina at seven. I just feel like with Carolina beating Notre Dame the last game of the year last year and returning more than Notre Dame does, I just feel like, um, you know, I could see those two flip-flopped in the poll, but just by a little shout out to my man, Charlie Leonard, who's going to be their face-off guy uh, as of right now. That poll? Yeah, the poll. I remember that kid. Right? Yeah. Awesome kid. Uh, I coached him. He grew up. Uh, uh, a lot of swagger. He's got a lot of swagger, that kid. He does. And he is just, he's a grinder, man. You know, he's the kind, he's just an overachiever in life. I love the Is kid. he going to be their face, their, their, their starting guy? And, um, you know, they have another guy who's been injured that they kind of recruited for. But Charlie does, would not ever shock me when Charlie Leonard comes out on top because the, kids, the kid is just the ultimate competitor. Man. I mean, right. He's a little, he's got a little CJ Cospiel to his game, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So number eight. Rutgers, Adam Charlotte Beatties is back. I'm so pumped about that. This kid, yeah, it's, it's really I mean, great. That know, kid he ACL twice. He was uh, in the in the 2016 Minto Cup, okay, which was after his freshman year, where he tore it up in Division One lacrosse as a yeah, left I as remember. a freshman, and he was the best player in the Minto Cup uh, uh, next to the goalie for Coquitlam, who ended up you know shutting the go- door on a three-two or something four-three game five victory. But this kid was really special, and everybody's been waiting for him, you know, to get healthy after tearing his ACL in the fall of 2016 and then tearing it again. And uh, he had a really big opening weekend. But uh, Brian Brecht, Eric Saramet, his new yeah. offensive coordinator, uh, was a great pickup, awesome guy, pumped up. Yeah. 
um, you know, in the mix. And, um, and anyways, thoughts on them? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm psyched to see uh, Sharambi's back as well. I mean, let's face it, Rutgers, like, just, you know, just missed the playoffs the last two years. You think about how scary it would have been to have him playing with Jules Hennenberg the last two years. And Rutgers is a team that probably makes the final four. You know, they one of the last very years. well, you're right. Yeah, they, they, they could have with everything that they had. So it's just really sad that they weren't able to play together. Um, but I'm just so happy that the kid is back and playing again. And certainly it changes this Rutgers team and makes them really, really dynamic offensively. Um, I will say, though, with that said, obviously they beat Lafayette the first week by six, and they were losing to St. John's. Like, I'm looking at the game, yep. and they're down 15 to 12. They're playing in Queens, and I'm thinking, I can't believe this. St. John's is going to end up beating Rutgers today. Yeah. And then they go on a seven-year-old tear, and they win, you know, 19-15. And, um, you know, clearly scoring goals is not going to be a problem for, for this Rutgers team. But I do think that they're not close to as good on the defensive end, you know, compared to where they've been the last three years. Is that going to hold up in the Big Ten? I, I don't know. It yeah. may. They're gonna, they might struggle with Penn State. If Penn State's well, – that game might be 40-38, to 38. Um, you know, if you look at the scores at this point in the season. But, you know, at nine, I don't know. We're going to find out. They got Army. I think Army's coming to them this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and Army coming off a game, a big win over UMass yep. on the hill. Uh, they're going to be ready because Rutgers beat Army, I think, last year. And, and that was one of Army's first losses. And, and Army had a great – you know, first like eight games of the year last year, they were they were right there, and then they didn't finish very well. Um, but I, I'm I'm comfortable with Rutgers at eight, I suppose. I just was not impressed by that score. Them losing, yeah, I was not impressed by that by that score. Um, and I don't mean that as a knock on St. John's, but yeah, you're giving up a lot of goals to anybody. I mean, giving up a lot of goals to that's right, that's right. And and what's going to happen when they play Penn State and they lose? you know, 90% of the face-offs to Arcieri and they lose 90% of the face-offs to Shockey and Henningsen at Maryland. Um, you know, it's, it's, and they lose 80% of the face-offs to Ohio State. They got to they gotta figure out who they are at the face-off X. And I know I listened to your podcast with, with uh, Gremley and Greg Gremley and, and, and he had mentioned a concern in that area for Rutgers as well. And, you know, for them to sustain this position in the weekly polls, they're going to have to get that situation sorted out because you can't give away those kind of possessions and you've got some serious, serious guys in the Big Ten and they're going to, they're going to murder you at that position. And if you're giving those offenses that many opportunities and you're giving up you know, that many goals at this point through the season, it concerns me that Rutgers is, is, is going to be able to sustain this position in the polls. No doubt. Quick shout-out to my man Kyle Pless who played for me at Mountain Vista High School. Has been playing. He's the uh, he's their long pole number five stud. Kid, one of the best kids ever was a shorty for me, as a sophomore. Gave him a pole, uh, and he became an all American. Went to Rutgers. So just got to give. I love that kid. Great, great kid. Great family. Um, all right. So we've talked a lot about number seven Towson already. Um, we were supposed to be having a game of speed pick, um, and uh, it's taking a little longer. But but uh, but you know what? There's a lot of good stuff to talk about. So thoughts on Towson. I'll just touch on it. I know we talked a little bit when we discussed Hop. Um, this is a scary team. Look, they have no pressure on them. They've got a proven coaching staff. They were just in the Final Four, um, I think, what, two years ago? Two years ago. 
Um, and this is a team that's not wide-eyed about anybody. It's, it's obviously, you know, within the mold of their coach, who's one of the toughest guys out there. And, you know, when they're winning face-offs with a guy that can handle the ball and is dangerous in transition as a passer and as a shooter, if, if Alex Woodall continues to have this kind of success and, and they're winning 75% of the face-offs, Towson, again, is going to be in a position to beat anybody. Right. And, and they just blew Hopkins out of the water. And I think we all felt pretty good about Hopkins at, you know, seven in the country going into last week's games. And if, if they beat them that soundly, this is a team that you think has to be a clear front runner, in my opinion, to win the CAA. And, you know, again, be a team that, that we're going to be talking about in May. So I think this is a worthy, I think they're worthy of number seven in the polls this week. No doubt. And they got a lockdown shorty in Zach Goodrich. I mean, this yeah. guy, like, it's like having another poll. Yeah, he's like, um, he's like a Tawarton candidate. He should be. He should be. And this kid, Grant Maloof, number 13, the midfielder. I watched that game last night in preparation for this call, and I, I, I was so impressed with this kid's ability to shoot on the run. I mean, he was shaking guys and snapping shots off uh, with both hands. And so uh, they, they've, they've definitely got some guys that can score. They're going to win faceoffs. Natalyn always runs a great defense, and they got a shorty that they don't have to slide to. You right. know, they got five you know, poles. They got five poles. They got five poles. Um, number six, Denver. Yeah. Uh, Coach Tierney, Coach Brown. You know, every single year they just sort of press reset on 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 a way that they play that is just off the charts. It's really similar to Notre Dame in the way they play every year. You take a, you, know, you look at a video from the last 10 years and those teams play exactly the same way. And it's just a carbon copy um, stylistically and coaching wise, even though they are stay current and they add, you know, it's not like they, it's not like they're not, you know, doing some new things, but just the way they look and the way they play together, it, it blows my mind how consistent they are. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. Bill Tierney's the best coach in, in the history of college across. There's no question about that. And, um, you know, he, he's one of the best coaches in all of college sports history. And you got Matt Brown, who, again, is, is arguably the best offensive line in the sport. And, you know, this team and their ability to, to this year seemingly start to rely on defense as their offense comes up to speed, you know, they bring a, a new face-off guy in that goes 15 for 19 and they don't miss a step there, at least through the first game against an Air Force kid that actually split with Batiste last year. And this kid just beat him up. And I think that they're going to ride defensive success for a while. And uh, we're going to find out a lot more about them this weekend against Duke. We spoke about Duke a few minutes ago. I, I do think that this game is going to be uncharacteristically a low-scoring game just based on the defensive personnel of both teams. The face-off X is going to be interesting this weekend, um, but I don't worry about Denver ever. Um, every year, it feels like, you know, you're talking about Alabama football. That's kind of how it feels. You, you feel like – when you watch Denver play that they're never going to lose ever again, ever <laughs> kind of the way that Albany or kind of the way that you feel about Alabama when you watch them play football and you watch Duke play basketball, just Denver seems that same way. Like they just don't ever beat themselves. And um, you know, again, I think that this year's version of their team is going to be a little different, um, but equally as scary. Alex Simmons, new uh, freshman uh, from uh, St. Catharines, Ontario. Uh, really special player playing in the midfield, Culver Academy product. 
Um, and then the, the face-off guy you're referring to is kid Brett Booth, played at Chaparral High School uh, here in Colorado. Arizona, that's where I would have gone if we continued to live in Arizona. I, we, our family moved to Arizona in third and fourth grade, and I was a mile and a half from Chaparral. I could have gone Different there. Chaparral. Oh. Chaparral, Colorado versus Chaparral, Arizona. Oh, I was only about 1,500 miles from that different Chaparral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't wait to watch. Um, I can't wait to continue to watch the uh, the Pios coming up. Um, again, I, I watch them every single time just from the pure learning opportunities. Um, so Jeff Teed and Cornell. Jeff Teed's like one of my favorite players, maybe ever to watch. I, I love watching this kid play, and right. I'm bummed that everyone's just going to shut him off the whole time because um, why wouldn't you? Right. I mean, he's unbelievable. I mean, those guys playing with them probably feel like you know. Tommy Goldstein's kids when Timmy plays in the father-son game. I mean, the guy is just, like, unbelievably good. I mean, he's unbelievably good. Was he all world this summer following his sophomore year? And, and you know, in the world games, and he's coming back. And, you know, look, the, the obvious question that everybody's looking to see is how are they going to manage teams that shut off Jeff Teat? Yeah. Um, is Jeff Teat going to pick the ball? Are they going to bury him in the crease? You know, I, I think – I think that that's certainly a question that has to be answered. Uh, I do think that the culture of that program in general, and you and I have a, a lot of Cornell friends, and certainly Schmoles was one of them, and, and having coached with me at Dartmouth for a while, but knowing Timmy and Liz Rock and Tony Morgan and Johnny Heil and, um, you know, all of, all of those guys, there's an unbelievable history in that program, and there's an unbelievable pride that – this team competes with and coach Milliman has has sort of uh you know brought it all together and, and and this is a team that I would not be surprised at all in fact I'll say I think they're going to be in the final four if if if, if there's a gun held in my head right now uh I would say Yale Cornell Loyola and Penn State I, I backpedaled a little bit a few weeks ago I I said um you know Yale Cornell Loyola and Duke, but I just, I, I think Cornell is a team that's going to get to the final four this year. And um, if they can, if they can compete at the X against some of these teams that have these elite face-off guys in Yale um, and Penn state, I think this is a team that could win the whole thing. I, I do. I, I, I like Jeff T frankly, as a guy when he catches the first pass more than I do as a lead initiator, I think that's where he's scariest. Um, Which is the, exactly why they're shutting him off. What's that? Which is exactly why they're shutting him off. Yeah, that, that, that's right. That's right. That's right. So, you know, I don't know if they're going to do screens off ball to allow him. But, but, but you also can't force the ball to a player either. Um, you know, because then you start to become somebody you're not as well, and you're pressing. You know, it's not about Jeff Teat getting his points. It's about Cornell winning, and Jeff Teat gets that, and they all get that. And, you know, I think that they have to be able to keep teams honest and, and find a way to be successful and, and as scary playing five-on-five five before they're going to find teams that are going to not shut Jeff Teat off anymore. Um, if, if it was me, I'd be setting picks. I'd, I'd be having him set picks at the goal line extended or just a little bit before it X and, and two-man game him all the time and see how teams play. But, again, um, if I had all the answers, what, go ahead. I chatted with um, 
with Coach Milliman um, after their first round playoff win. Yeah. And um, we talked about, you know, he, he gave some of the things he's thinking about. I mean, first of all, you should be able to score at a pretty high percentage five on five if you're good. You should. And they have, and it's a bit, it's an advantage. And it's something that they went with and they're going to go with again, I guarantee to a certain degree. Uh, yep. Guys like Clark Pedersen, um, this guy is the most underrated player in college across, in my opinion. He's Dave Huntley's nephew. Got he it. was off the charts in the Minto Cup this year. He's a Canadian kid uh, played from, uh, from Brampton, righty, another three-time captain. Kids wow. Really? Yeah. Yes. The, the kid is like one of the best kids ever, and he's an incredible right-handed player. The fact that he hasn't been an All-American yet is absurd. I'm telling you, he is off the charts. He'll be in the top one or two picks in the NLL draft, and he will have a huge year for them this year. As far as setting picks, obviously, you know, it's kind of like telling, telling Torps to double-pull the face-off wing. I mean, you're going to set picks. But part of, the, part of the issue, though, is that Jeff T, you don't want to be – guys are going to run him over. And he's like a concussion waiting to happen if he sets too many picks on the type of goal line stuff that's going to, that, that, you know, that, that everyone envisions. It's not that they're not going to set picks with him because they will. But they, should be, they, should, they should have him wear a motorcycle helmet. <laughs> That'd be so sick. It would be. And maybe the, uh, the neck roll like Dave K wore. Yeah, that was a sick look for, for Skirta. But, um, and so, um, and, and then, you know, of course, the off-ball stuff, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the one thing that, that, um, that Cornell has done such an amazing job with is, is, is getting their shorties open off the ball, probably better than any team I've seen in recent memory. They, they literally, like everybody always kind of puts their shorties on the perimeter, waiting to, for the ball to get to them so they can dodge with them. Right. And Cornell has nonstop got guys on the inside of their offense. I mean, partly because team is so good and partly because it's part of what they believe in. And so you're not going to be able to shut off Jeff T with a shorty. So you're going to have to burn a pole on them. And, um, you know, it's really going to be up to the rest of this supporting cast to be able to make everybody pay. So the only guy that they lose is Jordan Dowiak, who had a great year last year. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. This, this, this team is going to be super scary. I mean, they're going to be really scary. I wouldn't be surprised to see them, uh, playing final four weekend and I wouldn't be surprised to see them win it. Um, so it's going to be glory days. Yep. Jimmy, Jimmy G will be psyched. Um, so anyways, um, Penn state number four, I, I feel like we've been waiting for Penn state and Jeff Tambroni to turn this corner for a lot of years. Cause we know that, you know, it was 10 years ago this year, actually, that, um, that all they had to do was chuck the ball and Cornell wins the national championship in 2009. <laughs> yeah. It was like, honestly, I was sick to my stomach that whole day after watching that. I'm sure there's a lot of fans and, and coaches. I mean, Jeff Tambroni is as fine of a coach as there is. And it just goes to show you how good of a culture he had built at Cornell and how hard it is to build a great culture in college lacrosse. Cause it takes time. And I feel like, you know, um, you know, Jeff is, is finally getting back to where he wants to be from a talent and a culture perspective. I, I did watch their Army scrimmage. Uh, they are well-balanced. Um, their defense is uh, fast, athletic, um, coordinated. They, they're going to double you whenever they can, uh, get you kind of tied up in some V-holds um, and uh, cross-check holds and be able to just if you turn your back on Cornell, they're going to double you. And they're fast enough to make those plays. And obviously, offensively, you know, with aim at an attack and uh, at X and, um, 
um, and uh, all of their their finishers. Uh, you got O'Keefe, lefty finisher, as good of a shooter as there is in, in college across, and, and tons of athletes like Spillane all over the midfield. Um, they're a fun team to watch, and and you have them in your final four too. I do. I but I, but I have them in my final four this week. You know, last week I looked at that game, and they you know they pounded Villanova seventeen to seven in the first week, and Villanova, as you know, is one of the one of the better coach teams in the country each year. Mike Carrado does an awesome job. And, you know, for them to beat that team up the way that they did was certainly shocking. But then to come back and beat another playoff team from the year before, Robert Morris, the way that they did, 27 to 10. I looked at the schedule. I looked at the scores, you know, at about whatever, 130 or something on Saturday. And it, it said 18 to 3 in the second quarter. <laughs> Penn State beating RMU. And I couldn't believe it. You know, but I share the same admiration for Jeff Tambroni as a coach that you do. I think he's one of the, the very, very best coaches in the country. And I think that the last couple years, they haven't done great. But if you look at their team last year, they were eight and six. They lost three one-goal games, you know, one to Michigan at the end of the year. They lost one to Maryland, you know, in early April. They lost the first game of the year to Villanova. And, you know, aberration, I shouldn't say an aberration, but they lost to Robert Morris, which was a bad loss, I think, at the time. But Robert Morris, we know, was a scary team at the end of the year. They lose to Cornell. You know, it's, it's, it's but, but think about it, right? Grant Amen, their lead dog, their playmaker, was out, didn't play at all last year. Arcieri, one of the best face-off guys in the country, I think actually the best, but we'll see how he does against TD Ireland on the 23rd when they travel up to Yale. That's going to be a matchup. That that'll be the premier face-off matchup this year, in my opinion, T.D. Eiler versus uh, Arcieri. Uh, you know, Arcieri was hurt last year as well. And, you know, two years ago, they had the death with Connor Darcy. And so they've had a rough couple of years in terms of injuries and, you know, things that have been going on in the program that have been distractions or, you know, have, have, have you know, maybe, uh, you know, challenged the team to keep their focus. But, I agree with you 100%. Jeff Tambroni is as good a coach as there is out there, and it's great to see Arcieri healthy. It's great to see Grant Ament come back and, and, and be the player that, you know, everybody expected him to be coming into college across. And now you've got an unbelievable faceoff guy. You've got a stud attacking with an unbelievable shooter in Mac O'Keefe. And you've got, you know, a goalie in Colby Nice playing really, really well. And then you've got, again, you've got seasoned, experienced midfielders. You've got a great long pole in Tommy Wright. You've got a shutdown defender uh, in uh, Sabia. You've, they've, they've got all the pieces. They yeah. really do. You know, they've got all the pieces to be a team that's playing in the Final Four. And, you know, I think they're going to challenge Maryland for the Big Ten Championship. And, and it wouldn't surprise me if they beat Maryland. I mean, Maryland is, is kind of a similar team on paper but I would give the, the nod to Penn State over Maryland in the goal. I like, you know, Colby Canise a little better than Danny Dolan at this point. I like Arcieri a little bit better than the two-headed monster of Henningsen and Shockey at the X for Maryland. You know, Gerald Bern, Jared Bernhard and Grant Amen, take your pick. Um, you know, and, and, you know, you've got Curtis Corley, the shutdown defenseman from Maryland. You've got Sabia from Penn State. I mean, these are, these are the two teams that seem to have the greatest balance of really good players at important positions in the Big Ten. And I think the two best teams in the Big Ten, and it wouldn't surprise me, um, you know, if Penn State goes to the Final Four and potentially gets over the hump and wins it. I know that, uh, 
you know, I, I know I feel Jeff will win one or more NCAA championships before he retires, and this wouldn't surprise me if this is the year that he does it, although he's got to go through Andy Shea and Yale. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, one quick note on Jeff Tambroni that he, that's worthwhile to remember is that when he came in as the head coach at Cornell as a young head coach, Princeton had been dominating the Ivy League for 10 yeah. and they'd won a lot of championships. And yeah. he unseated Princeton with Cornell. Totally. totally. They won like eight championships in a row at Cornell. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. I know. It's, it, it's, they, were, they were right there. I mean, they had – but they, they had a succession of four really, really good players in Joe Belucas and then, you know, uh, Seabold, and then John Glenn was right there. He didn't, John Glenn did not get enough credit. John Glenn was a first team All-American. In fact, I think John Glenn should have been midfielder of the year that year yeah. that they lost in the national championship. I think he was second team, but he was incredible. Uh, and then Rob Pinnell and, and, you know, that they had a run of those, you know, sort of once in every, you know, 10, 25 year players. And they were able to, you know, have a lot of success. And I think, I think Jeff's going to, I think Jeff is going to get, I think this year, this is a team that they, if they can stay healthy. Um, you know, this is a team that is going to be really, really tough for teams to play. Well, you kind of already just broke down the number three Terps. Yeah, um, but that you know, John Tillman, another guy that has just established himself year in and year out. I mean, you could argue he's the best coach over the last eight years in Division One lacrosse. I mean, he seems absolutely, to he absolutely is. He's he's the best coach. There's no question about it. The last eight years, I I currently have Andy Shea as the best in the country right this instant. Tough not to, based on what he's been able to do at Yale. Um, but if you're looking at the last eight years, there's no question that it's John Tillman. He's, he's, he's the most successful, the best coach in the country in the last, you know, over that time. And it's amazing because he, he replaced a legend. Did. You know, and he has, and he's at, you know, in Dave Cottle, and he's actually just taken it to another level. And um, yeah, it's really remarkable. Um, he's so, an awesome recruiter. You know, he, he, he really is a great recruiter. And, and it's also got to be a great evaluator of talent too, because you know there's a lot of great recruiters that work hard, you know, and but but not everybody gets it right as often as he's getting it right. And he he doesn't necessarily get, you know, he's not at the very top of the recruiting food chain, you know, like people aren't going first choice Maryland every player in the country, but he still is getting the best. He's developing and recruiting unbelievable talent and reloading. Every single year, they just continue to reload. So, yeah. yeah. It's going to be – one thing about Maryland, you know, and, and I'm with you. You know, I, I, listen, he's, he's, he's done such a great job, and he obviously is a great evaluator. He knows the characteristics that he, you know, wants in his recruits as players, certainly as people. But, um, you know, it's going to be interesting how – because they, they have not been impressive so far. You know, they, they, they beat Bucknell 11-6, I think, the first week. And they and they they didn't look that good, um, you know. Last week they were up on Richmond big, and then they you know they lose the fourth quarter five zip, and they hold on and win ten nine. Two unimpressive wins for Maryland. And if I'm looking at Maryland's offense the last couple of years, while they've had phenomenal players and just won the title a couple of years ago, you know they've really been a team that that plays slowly. I think, and. You know, with this shot clock, I wonder how much that impacts is a fact. This Maryland team, um, you know, if it's if it's if it's forcing their guys to be a little bit 
uh, to play a little bit differently, maybe maybe differently than they've played the last few years. I, I don't know. I don't go to their practices. I haven't spoken to their coaches or their players. But I look at, you know, a team with that much talent coming back and they've gotten off to a slow start. You know, do they look at those first two teams that they play in Bucknell and Richmond and look past them? I don't see how you can look past Bucknell. They're one of the best coaches teams in the country every year, always beating teams that, you know, that – going into games, I mean, they beat, they beat Yale last year, right? Perfect example. And, and Richmond, Dan Schmeider is the same thing. You know, they beat Duke. And, you know, those are two teams that you would never look past, yet I was not impressed with the, the final score of, of, of either of those games. And I think that Maryland is going to have to, uh, you know, to play better if they want to maintain the level of success they've had the last eight years. Yeah, it's a great point. I, th I do think that uh, they're going to have to play faster than they've played, and we'll see if it makes a difference. I mean, obviously, everyone's going to make adjustments, and there's a lot of good, good coaches and smart coaches. Um, and uh, leads us right into a good coach and a smart coach in Charlie Toomey at number two, Loyola. I did get a chance to watch them practice this fall. Uh, offensive coordinator Mark Van Arsdale, one of the best guys and best coaches out there. Um, and, uh, you know, he's got really – an unbelievable attack unit with a senior and two sophomores. I know you know those kids well. And, yeah. And, um, and they've got a midfield that's, you know, I would say would be their question mark, but, you know, they, 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 they've certainly produced this past week. And I say that only because I think that they just don't have, you know, they don't have the, uh, you know, they don't have a, a, a Pat Spencer returning All-American type of guy. Um, Chase Scanlon uh, is a freshman phenom. Uh, played on the Coquitlam Adonex last year, went to IMG Academy. And this kid, um, this kid's pretty special, honestly. He's a Native American that has uh, – he has all the skill and slickness that you see out of these guys um, that grow up playing pickup backyard lacrosse and the reservation and box lacrosse. Um, but he's also – the kid's got quicks, man. He's got legitimate athleticism, and he's fearless. Uh, Stover in the goal, total leader, um, you know, and experience, four-year starter, really well-coached defense. Uh, with Coach Dwan, you know, look, they, they've got all the pieces. Thoughts on them? Uh, yeah, I, I watched that game on Saturday, and, you know, that was the premier game this past weekend. And, you know, Dave Cottle was announcing the game, and he mentioned as well, he said, I'm biased, but, you know, I think this is the best coaching staff in the country. And they're, like, I'm not going to say that they're of the best coaching staff in the country. I could, I could make arguments for probably five or six different staffs, but they're arguably the best. You know, you've got guys that know exactly who they are, that everybody can relate to, you know, agree with your sentiments on Mark Van. Charlie's an unbelievable leader. Matt Dwan is just a, just a fantastic guy and coach. And, you know, together, they just, they just, they, they don't beat themselves. You know, they always seem like their team is better as a group than they are talented as individuals. And at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's kind of the coaching, coaching profession's goal, right, is to get everybody to come together. And, uh, you know, this is a team, you, you, you lose Foster Huggins off the defensive end as a first-team All-American, and defensively they, they seem to just do a fantastic job against a really, really scary, super-talented Virginia team. And I felt like Virginia's offense didn't look like they really were able to penetrate consistently against – uh, Loyola's defense and obviously Stover played Grady at 18 saves or whatever he had and you know I loved the interview post game that 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 Lars gave where he gave you know a ton of credit to the staff and the players and it 
it's easy to look at this team and say, oh, it's Pat Spencer and everybody else and those guys and you stop Pat Spencer and, you know, maybe you stop Loyola. But I don't think that's the case. I, I think that, you know, teams can come up with a way to shut Pat Spencer down and Loyola still goes on and scores 17 or 18 goals because they're so well coached and they're, they know how to take advantage of situations depending upon what you're looking to take away. And if they can continue to have success at the faceoff X with Bailey Savio, I think we feel great about Stover as a senior stepping up and being, you know, a really consistent presence on the backside, back end there. Um, you know, it's a team that's going to score 12 goals a game on their worst day. I mean, that, they, they are. Uh, I think you've got Kevin Lindley, Aiden Olmstead, but Kevin Lindley to me is somebody that's the real wild card here. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Kevin Lindley ends up being the leading goal scorer in the country this season. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that happens. Um, you know, did he I, I scored like five unassisted goals on Saturday too. He he did, and it's yeah. like, and that kid is that's off the charts because I mean, you figure he's going to be on the receiving end of Pat Spencer feeds all day, but when he starts, you put a shorty on him and he starts scoring unassisted goals. He's, you know, he's, he's, Jamie, he plays a game that coaches try to coach their players to play that they have difficulty doing like he's he makes everybody better without the ball in the way that he moves off ball he, and it's nonstop. his hands are unbelievable he's the most disciplined shooter everything is you know blowing away with deception and a quick release and you know he just and he's as tough as you need him to be he 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 and now he's adding an element of dodging which Frankly, I, I, I thought he had that in high school as well, but just because he was so good as an offensive player off ball that people didn't adequately appreciate the ball in his stick. You know, he, he, I'm not going to say he plays like Doug Knight, but he's got a similar ability to make everyone better with the way that he plays and seemingly never drops a pass and never misses a shot. I mean, I know that's, you know, a very gross overstatement, but – but the reality is this kid is as efficient as they come. I wonder how many shots he took. If he had five goals, I missed, you know, I missed the last quarter and a half because James had a basketball game, so I had to split. But um, I wonder how many shots he had to finish with five goals. It wouldn't surprise me if he had like eight shots and scored five goals. You know, he's just that – he's got that kind of efficiency, and this is a kid that people are going to really have to figure out how they're going to manage him. I think you've got to burn a pole on him, and I think you have to just to, – uh, you know, just take that guy out of the slide package because he's, 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 his, his shooting percentage. And now that he can dodge, he's, he's really, really scary. You know, you talk about guys that have overlooked with their on ball abilities, with ball abilities, because how good they are off the ball. You think of like Matt Pasquet, that kid was a good athlete. Yeah. Listen, oh, he, Zach, he brought, Greer, Zach Greer, you look at him in, in, in the, in, you know, in the, in the pros, I mean, he can beat people. You think of him as this guy who's like only an off ball guy. Um, but actually, these guys, you know, they're just so good off the ball, they just play to their strengths. Right. All right, so Kevin Lindley, eight shots. Five. Is that how many he had? Yeah, five goals, eight shots. Just like Oh, that. that was a guess, too. You're good. That's, that feels so good. It feels so normal. <laughs> All right. A, a team that we both spent a fair amount of time coaching back in the day. I was at Yale from 91 to 98 under Coach Wal Vogel, and you were there from, what, 99 to, like, 2002 or something? Uh, I think 98, 99, and 2000. There you go. Um, so 
Andy Shea, you're, you, you know, he really, he really has done an unbelievable job. He is so smart and he's got so many, every time I, I talk to the guy and I, I, you know, I don't talk to him all the time, but, but I, I love talking lacrosse with the guy. I have for 15 years mm-hmm. and he'll be like, um, I got the coolest thing, but don't tell anybody. I'll tell you, but don't tell anybody. And he does that every time about everything. You can do this all semester. Oh, no, that's not right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, <laughs> shooting or defense or drills or strength and conditioning or evaluation. I mean, you name it. He's, he's so smart and systematic in the way he uh, – and thoughtful in the way he approaches everything. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's happening again. And then, you know, finally, you know, you don't realize – people don't realize that when Princeton was in, in their heyday in the 90s, they were getting like 15 kids a year when Cornell was in the heyday as Cornell is now, you know, they're getting 12, 13, 14, 15 kids on the, on the roster. Now, you know, everyone's gonna be like, no, we did not. Well, okay, fine. But your rosters were 55 and you know, <laughs> it like it, it, it noted 15 recruits, you know, whether you recruited them all or whether they got into the ag school, I don't really care. Um, when Andy got to Yale, he got seven guys. Yeah. Yeah. Andy Shea was, I mean, honestly, man, in his first five years, he, he, he might've been like, two and 28 in the Ivy league or something. And then year six, all of a sudden he's just been winning ever since they started giving him some players and now they can get, you know, Hey, when Yale can get an Albany transfer, it's a good thing for the program too. (laughs) No question. You know, I, that's right. I I think, I think what needs to be stated is Andy Shea actually started winning some games and then they started to give him some players. I don't think they gave him players first, and then he won. And I, I, I'm not saying you meant that, but yeah, it's going on. No, that's a, that's a, it's accurate. He 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 started winning games, and I'll never forget. Um, you know, I told him when I was at Dartmouth that I thought his recruiting pitch at Yale was probably going to be the toughest in the league, just given the admission standards there. And then for the kids that can get into Yale, why would they go to New Haven over? you know, Cambridge or Princeton or, you know, Providence or these other places that, that I would perceive as a more desirable place to go to college for four years. Well, but I think you would because you're an endorsement. I am an endorsement, and not a lot of people understand that. Um, I like to be around tall buildings and watch sports. I don't do, you know, hiking and swimming. I don't do endurance stuff like that, James. Um, but it, it, what he's done is incredible, and I'm with you. Um, you know, he is so dialed in. What I love about him is that he's – He's just really, you know, self-deprecating and humble, and but he's tough as shit. He's smart as shit, and he knows exactly the type of player that he wants to bring in. And we talked about the strength of John Tillman evaluating talent, like evaluating players and identifying the attributes that he specifically wants. I, I don't think anybody does it better than Andy Shea either in that respect. You know, he's he's taken that team. And, you know, they, they were, like, bigger and, and stronger and tougher than Duke, who's the biggest, strongest team seemingly every single year. And they, they were physically beating that team up, um, you know. And, and, and this is a team that not only now is more athletic than everybody else, but they've got, you know, they're, they're really, really smart. And I think we're going to see a team that, again – if I had to bet, I'm betting on Yale to win the national championship this year. Um, and, you know, I, I think they're going to be a little bit different with Reeves gone. Um, but I think that they're more reliable in the goal with the return of that kid. And obviously you get TD Ireland and put him into the mix. I mean, 
wow, Yale already just not beat themselves at either end of the field. But offensively with Ben Reeves, you know, in control last year, they certainly did not. Now, how much of a hit are they going to take in possession management with Ben Reeves gone? You know, he was able to make plays and win every single matchup for goals if he didn't slide. Um, and I, I don't think that they have a guy like that this year. Um, you know, it's essentially, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be Mike Morrill's son who's a stud, but, I, but he's not like Ben Reeves. He's not that style of player. Um, and they lose some great short stick defensive midfielders. And, um, you know, like, like we said, they lost Mackey at the X, but they pick up TD Ireland. Um, you know, this is, this is a team that's really, really scary. Um, so I'm anxious to watch them play. Yeah, I mean, with the new rules, you know, they're, it's going to be – I think it'll be an advantage for them defensively. Um, and um, they play incredible defense, and they're going to win face-offs. And, um, you know, they'll manufacture goals. They're, they got athletes. Like, this is a team – this is a team that is the scariest team for Loyola to have to play against, right? Yeah. Scariest team for Penn State to have to play against because they – at least going into the game. Now I'm going on record. I think our Sierra beats TD Ireland when Penn State plays Yale on the 23rd. But when you going into the game, you got to say TD Ireland's favored to win, you know, the majority of the faceoffs in every game that they play. Then you factor in Chris Fake, who, you know, I think is a guy that can cover Pat Spencer and is gonna be it's gonna be by far Pat Spencer's toughest matchup. You know, is, is that a guy that can shut Pat Spencer down? I don't know. I don't think anybody can shut him down. But but the hardest guy for Pat Spencer to have to go against is going to be Chris Fake. The hardest guy for Grant Amen to have to go against is going to be Chris Fake. The hardest guy for Jared Bernhardt to have to go against is going to be Chris Fake. Now, does Chris Fake cover Jeff T? I don't think he covers him in that game. But I think he covers Mikey Sowers when they play Princeton. And I think that he is, in my opinion, the best defenseman in the country and has the – the ability to, or the greatest chance to, to shut down these superstar attackmen. Um, and if those guys get shut down, some of these teams are going to change real fast. Yep. I agree, man. And um, this was a lot of fun, you know, breaking down all these, the top 20 uh, so much for speed pick. It took us a little while to finish it, but I'll tell you, um, it was something that we needed to do to sort of set the table for the rest of the season when we start going through uh, the top storylines, the matchups, the biggest games, the best players, uh, the upsets, the big wins, all of that. So, um, Andy, uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, Jamie. Yes, thanks for coming on, buddy. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information.